The reading comes from Colossians chapter 1 and is verses 1 to 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that springs from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learnt it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. This is God's word. Good evening, my name is Matt, I'm one of the ministers here. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've spoken to us, that we've heard uh, your word uh, for us today, the word that you've uh, given to this world so that we can know you and understand you. And we pray that uh, wherever we are uh, this evening, that your word would uh, find our hearts and change our lives. We ask it for your name's sake. Amen. William... Randolph Hearst was a very wealthy man in the 1930s and 40s in America. Uh, He owned a newspaper and he spent uh, the huge amount of money that he had trying to buy as many uh, art artifacts as he could. So he gathered a huge number together over the years. On one occasion, he uh, sent one of his agents out trying to find an artifact that he'd been reading about in a magazine. It was one that he really, really uh, wanted. And so he sent his agent off with you know, all the money that was needed to go and find it. And the agent went off and a little while later he, he came back. He came back and he said, I'm afraid, uh, Mr. Hurst, we, um, we can't buy this artifact. And uh, uh, William Randolph Hearst was amazed. He said, how, uh, how can I not buy this thing? I have all of the money at my disposal to do that. And the uh, agent said, well, I'm afraid, sir, you cannot buy this artifact because, sir, you already own it. You already own it. You already have this. And sure enough, he checked. And in all of his great wealth, there in one of his little warehouses in the corner of New York or wherever it was, was this artifact that he already owned, that it had all the way along. We're looking at the book of Colossians for the next few weeks and in effect, you could, you could sum it up like this, that we have in Jesus Christ, if we're Christians, we have in Jesus Christ all that we need. We have in Jesus Christ all that we need. See, we do all go look, looking in life. It could be for all sorts of things. We go looking for the missing piece of life's jigsaw. We look in lots of different places. We look in our work. We look in our money. We look in a new relationship. We look in a change of circumstance. And the Bible's answer to mankind is that fullness, fullness is found in a relationship with God in Jesus Christ. 
And yet even when we're Christians, we've been following Jesus Christ for a while. It's easy to just go looking. We go looking. And maybe it's the, the inner voice of disappointment. That means that we go looking for something else. We think we need more. Or maybe it's the outer voices that come to us and say, you know, to be a proper Christian, to be a real Christian, a genuine Christian, you need this or you need this new experience or this bit of knowledge. And it can be very confusing, particularly if you've recently become a Christian. You hear all of these voices. You think, well, what do I do? Do I need to add these new things on? And the Christians in this small town called Colossae were tempted to go looking. That's part of the issue behind why Paul writes this letter. And so one of the repeated words that comes up time and again in this letter is the word fullness. Just turn your Bible open and let's uh, see this. Chapter 2, verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 9, page 1183. And here's what Paul the writer says. He says, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ. And more on that to come in future weeks. But do you see what he's saying? Jesus Christ is the supreme one over all of the universe. All fullness is in him. And you, you have been given fullness in him. Everything you have is in him. You don't need to go looking anywhere else. And so the message is, all you need... All you need, all the resources that you need in life are found in Jesus Christ. Or to put it in the title of a book that I've been reading, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's a great summary of the book of Colossians. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so Paul starts this letter to these new Christians thanking God thanking God for them. Although he's far away in prison, he's heard that something has happened in this town, Colossae, and it's thrilled his heart. There are new followers of Jesus Christ. And so he writes a letter to them, an encouraging letter that we're going to look at in the next few weeks. And he starts by thanking God. The passage we're looking at this evening is him thanking God for these new believers. And we'll just pick out a couple of things. They're on your handout if you find it helpful to follow these things through. Uh, He thanks God for a change, a genuine change in their lives. Verses 1 to 6. Let's just pick it up, especially from verse 3. He writes to them. He greets them. And then he writes verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. So he starts by thanking God for a genuine change that has happened in these people's lives. There are three marks of that change. There's faith, there's love, and there's hope. You often get those three going together in the New Testament, and they're here. And so the first thing he gives thanks for is verse 4, their faith in Christ Jesus. He gives thanks for the faith that they have in Jesus Christ, in a person. Now let me just uh, state the obvious, maybe, on this. Faith is one of those words that has an object to it. It's a bit like the word trust. If I had said to you, uh, do you have trust? You would say, well, 
trust in what? And you'd be right to, because trust is a word that has an object to it. And faith is one of those words. It has an object to it. Now, I say that because sometimes people will say, I wish I had your faith. Anyone ever said that to you? I wish I had your faith as a Christian, as if you have some sort of property that's inherent in you of faith that seems to turn everything you touch to gold. But that's not what faith is in the Bible. Faith is in an object, or here it's in a person. Let me try and illustrate this. Last night I went, uh, I went for dinner. I went out to a, a dinner party. A few of us uh, were there. And I was given the invitation a few weeks ago. And so I set off uh, on the train. I've been told to be there for about 7 o'clock. And so I jumped on the train and I set off. Now, I didn't, as I was sitting on the train heading over to East London, I wasn't, I wasn't sitting there desperately thinking, goodness, I, I, I wonder if this dinner party is going to happen. I, I just hope, I just hope that I have enough faith in, inside me to make this dinner party happen. I mean, sometimes I do wish I had enough faith to just create dinner parties and nice banquets. I don't know. I don't. I don't. But faith, I, I had no doubt that it was going to happen because I know the person who gave me the invitation. I know they're fantastic cooks and I know they wouldn't lie and say we're just having a dinner party, come along and then nothing there. I, I don't have friends like that. I wouldn't want friends like that. I had faith in a person, and my faith was only as strong as the, the object of my faith, that they are reliable people. It's not about my faith, it's about the person. And it's the same here. These Colossians had looked at the claims of Jesus Christ, his claim to be God, his claim to be the one who can forgive our sin, his claim to rise from the grave in history. They'd looked at those claims and they'd said, yes, it adds up. He's a reliable person. We can rely upon him. And so we're putting our faith in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what a Christian does. Christians don't have some inherent property of faith. If you're looking into the Christian faith, then the thing to do is to look at the person of Jesus Christ. He's the heart of it all. So there's the first thing. There's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then secondly, there's love for all the saints, end of verse 4. I've heard of your faith and I've heard of the love that you have for all the saints. Now he's not talking about St. Thomas and St. Assisi and St. Daphne and St. Mildred. I don't know if they exist. But he's not, he's not talking about saints like that. The word saints there means believers. That's how the New Testament uses that word. I've heard of your love for other believers in Jesus Christ. In other words, because you now share the same master and Lord, you, you love other people who also share him as Lord. So it doesn't, this doesn't mean that uh, Christians shouldn't love everyone. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago here, that we're called to love our, our neighbor. We're called to love all people. But there is something that marks a Christian out in that they share a particular bond with those trusting in Jesus Christ. I guess it would be like a a child who was adopted into a family, brought into a family, and there would be a particular bond between the children in that family who they were now part of a family with. It's not that when they're in the playground, they shouldn't love all of the other children and look out, look out for them. Of course they, they should. But there's something particular about the relationships that they enjoy. And it's the same for these Colossians. It's the same for Christians today. And if you're a Christian, maybe you've experienced something of the remarkable nature of that when you go to a, another city or 
you arrive in this city and you look for a church and here you are today. And you share with brothers and sisters the same Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a bond between the people in this room. Unmistakable bond between the people in this room and Christians around the world because of the same Lord Jesus Christ. So the second mark is love for all the saints, a mark of genuine change. And the third mark of genuine change is in verse 5. There's faith, love. And that, verse 5, the faith and love spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you've already heard about in the word of truth. So the third mark is hope. Hope that is stored up in heaven. Now that is a remarkable change. That's a remarkable change in someone to live with not just hope in this life, but an eternal hope. And that's what Christians have been given. And as you look around the world, it's true that people are looking for hope. Where do we find hope for this year? Where do we find hope for anything beyond that? And the Colossians had found hope through Jesus Christ. But it wasn't just a hope in this world. It was a hope that was stored up for them in heaven. And one of the most remarkable things about that hope is that therefore is a hope that cannot be touched. It cannot be touched because it's stored up for you. Do you see that word stored up? It's stored up in heaven. And therefore it can't be touched by the things that you experience in life here, the ups and the downs. It's stored in heaven. I was looking at this passage a few weeks ago with a friend called Steve and he said, you know, that's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. When I became a Christian, he said a few years before this, two things happened. First of all, a number of people um, in my family and my colleagues at work started sort of laughing at me, sneering at my newfound faith. But the other thing that happened was I found that I had a hope within me that put all of that into perspective, that meant I could endure that even when people were laughing at me. I had a hope, he said, that couldn't be touched. And as he shared that, it reminded me of of a quote that I came across a little while ago. Some would know this. It's up on the the screen now by a guy called John Chrysostom, I think is, uh, is how you pronounce it. And the lady he was talking to is no more easy to pronounce. The Empress Eudoxia is her name. But here's the conversation that goes between a Christian guy, four, uh, 400 AD this was. She said to him, uh, sorry, he said to her, you cannot banish me, that's what she was trying to do, for this world is my father's house, but I will kill you, said the Empress. No, you cannot, for my life is hid with Christ in God, said John. I will take away your treasures, No, you cannot, for my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there. But I will drive you away from your friends and you will have none left. No, you cannot, for I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy you, for there is nothing you can do to harm me. Do you see what he's saying? There is a man who is saying, my hope is stored up for me in heaven. It's safe in heaven because of Jesus Christ. My hope is being with him in the new creation. And that is a mark of genuine change when you see that. And when you see that in the lives of, and some of us have seen that in the lives of our brothers and sisters here in the last few months, when you see that in someone, you realize what a remarkable and genuine change God has done in us that would have faith, love, and hope. And do you see, just before we we go on to the second thing, do you see how these three are all related? Faith, And love, that, verse 5, spring from the hope. It's the hope that creates those things. They come through that. Trying to explain it this way. Uh, Next uh, next weekend, uh, I'm going on holiday. Very excited. 
Um, but basically, it's one of those holidays where it's come about basically because of the kindness of a friend who just got organized enough to you know, get it together. And Muppets like me, I haven't got any plans to sort of turn up and free ride off the back of his. Are you, are you a friend like me or are you a friend like the guy who puts that? I don't know. Anyway, this guy's, you know, he's organized it and very kindly invited uh, me along. His friend Andrew, he's, you know, he's booked the chalet, he's booked the car at the other end. I just had to, you know, get a flight and, and sort that out. Now, I imagine that next week, uh, I know uh, the guy who's organizing it, I know a couple of the others going, and then there are about four people I don't know. I don't know if you've ever had that situation when you're, you're arriving on a holiday or you're, you're going to a, uh, a concert or you're going out to the theater and you, you gather together with people and the, the thing that you're now focusing on brings you together. So I imagine next week I'll turn up at the airport and I'll meet these people, some I've not met, and I'll probably do something stupid and goofy like saying, hey, we're all going on a holiday together, isn't that really exciting? And they'll go, who is this weird guy? I don't know. Something like that will happen. Because it's exciting, you're suddenly brought together with people you've not met and you have a, a shared, common excitement that is ahead of you. And it draws you together, even if you've not met each other. And that's what Paul is, is saying is, is going on here, if you like. God has, God has given to us, by his grace, a holiday, an eternal holiday with him forever. And so Christians, people trusting in Jesus Christ are looking forward to going on holiday together forever. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing because of Jesus Christ. In other words, Christians are people who say, look, we know this really good guy, like my friend Andrew. We know this really good guy who just invites people along to join him forever on holiday. Jesus Christ. Won't you come and join him? Won't you come and have faith in him? And as you do that, won't you share our common bond that we share together as we look forward to this hope that cannot be shaken. That's what's happened in these Colossians. And Paul gives thanks to God for it. It must have been reassuring to him to hear that other people were trusting in the same Lord Jesus Christ. Don't forget, he's in prison. It must have been reassuring to him. Other people are trusting in the Lord Jesus, have found out how good he is. So hear that reassurance for you as well. Paul is giving thanks for a genuine change. And so if you're someone here, sitting here, has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're trusting in him. You've got love. You share a common bond with others. You've got hope ahead. Then Paul, God would say to you, I give thanks for the work that he's done in you. It's a genuine work of God. It's a genuine work of God. Let's move on to the second thing. But uh, you see, the question might be, uh, these Colossians might think, well, um, this sounds great. It's a genuine change. But it, is it possible that maybe we've trusted in some sort of offshoot of the genuine Christian faith? It sounds good. It sounds too good to be true in many ways. But is it possibly an offshoot? You know, maybe a minority report of the Christian faith that we've trusted in. Now, how do we know? You'd want to know, wouldn't you? You want to be sure with such a wonderful offer. And so Paul says the second thing. This change has been produced by the genuine gospel. Let's look at that, verse uh, 6. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. 
So this genuine change has been produced by the genuine Gospels. And there are three marks of that Gospel. We'll just pick them out briefly. Uh, Paul refers to its growth, its content, and its messenger. So its growth, verse, uh, verse 6, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit. This gospel that you in your little town, Colossae, have trusted in is the same gospel that is bearing fruit around the world. It made progress to you, and now it's making progress elsewhere. See, Paul is telling them that so that they will have confidence because as we'll see in the book of Colossians there are some other people who are saying look you need a bit more you need more you need uh, you need to add some things in and then you'll be real Christians and Paul is at pains to say no that's not the case that's not the case that is the minority report and this this is the genuine gospel the one that is growing all around the world and there must have been such an encouragement to them, and it is for us too, that the gospel that we've trusted in is the same one that God is using around the world today to change his world. And as you walk around, you I don't know if you've had this experience, you just bump into people uh, unexpectedly who are also trusting in this, and you see that God has done a work in their life. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, a few of us from here went to a, a, a sort of evangelism morning, uh, encouraging us and telling others about Jesus. And so I went, I went home all sort of fired up, got on my bike, cycled home, needed a pint of milk, pulled into the, the shop nearby, thought, well, here we go, I'll get talking to this guy. Got talking to this guy. Uh, problem was he had the same idea. He was trying to um, convert me. I was trying to convert him. And, and, and off we went. Eventually, we just got halfway through the conversation. And I said, are you a Christian? He said, yes, I am. He said, are you a Christian? I said, yes, I am. I said, this is brilliant. This is brilliant, isn't it? That was fantastic. Um, it's wonderful. But it's just a reminder. God is at work. God is at work around the world. The gospel is growing. Or you, you read of the growth of the church in China. You, you hear of numbers of people in South America turning to Jesus Christ. Just huge numbers of people around the world. The gospel is growing. This gospel that we've trusted in in our not-so-small town is the same one that God is using around the world today, to transform people's lives. So Paul says, first of all, there's its growth. But again, we have to ask before we go to the second, what is the content of this message then? This message that is going on around the world, what is that? Now, this question is so important today because you, you, could, um, you could read any brand of Christianity, couldn't you, out there? People say, you go on the internet, there are all sorts of messages of what the message of the Christian faith is. You know, is it, is it be good? Is it get to, you know, go to church? Is it earn brownie points with God? What is this message? What is God's message to this world? The gospel, the good news. And we see it in verse 6. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it, and understood what? God's grace in all its truth. That's the content of the message that God has announced to this world and that took root in Colossae and grew. That is the heart of the message. So if you're, if you're looking in on the Christian message, this is it. God's grace in all its truth. This is it. God's grace. Now what does that mean? It just means God's kindness 
to us. God's kindness, his undeserved kindness to a world that has rejected him. That's the heart of it. God's undeserved kindness to a world that has rejected him. You see, the Bible says that all of us reject God and that the justice for that is that we pay for our sin ourselves. That's the justice for rejecting God. And yet the Bible says that God has provided a way. He's provided a way for us not to have to pay our sins away from God, but for him to do it. And it's his grace. None of us could earn our way to heaven. That would be works. The Bible says none of us could do it by works. It's only by God's grace, his free gift, his kindness in sending Jesus Christ to the cross in our place for our sins. It's his undeserved kindness to us. Um, Struggling to resist, but 2 Samuel 9. I know I'm not meant to talk about that because that's not a Bible passage we're meant to be preaching on, but 2 Samuel 9, it's in there. Read it. Listen to a sermon online from a few weeks ago. God's undeserved kindness to, well, David's undeserved kindness to one of his enemies. That's the heart of the Christian message. It's in 2 Samuel 9. Read it through. I'll try and illustrate it another another way. uh, About a year ago, I was cycling through Hyde Park just over the the back there. And uh, um, for anyone who thinks I'm nothing but an, uh, is not convinced that I'm just a forgiven sinner, which is what I am. This is just, if you're not convinced of that, this is just about to sort of knock that out of um, the sky for you. I went through, I was cycling and I went through a red light. Um, Yeah, sharp and take a breath. Sharp and take a breath. Uh, shouldn't have done it. Don't normally do it. Did on this occasion. And on that occasion, there was a police car just behind me. <laughs> so uh, there I was. And uh, two guys got out of the car, two policemen. And they pulled me in. And uh, I mean, it, was, it, was, it was embarrassing. I was on my way to church. Uh, and <laughs> not my best moment. And the... Uh, First copper explained um, that the, the thing that happens in this is 60 quid fine. So this is, this is what it's going to be. It's going to be 60 quid. Uh, I don't know if my bottle, bottom lip wobbled at that moment or something. I don't know. But anyway, he said, uh, but on this occasion, sir, uh, we're going to let you off. So well, that is fantastic. Thank you very much. Got on my bike, started cycling away very quickly, <laughs> very quickly. I was cycling, I was cycling along. I hadn't got very far. And uh, the car pulled alongside me again. I thought, I'll help. He's changed his mind. He's changed his mind. He pulled in alongside me, and, uh, and he, he got out of the car, and he said, uh, so I couldn't help but noticing, as you were cycling away uh, from me, that it uh, seems the, sort of, um, the rear alignment on your uh, bike is, is slightly out. I said, uh, yes, it is. Uh, he said, well, uh, I've got a bike just, just like that, actually, and I have the same problem with the rear alignment, and the other guy was looking at us thinking, what is going on here? But... Uh, he said, well, sir, let, let me just recommend to you. Um, I had, it was a very simple job to get it fixed. Um, and actually, I happen to know there's just a bike shop around the corner. You might want to take it in, in there. I was absolutely flabbergasted. I didn't know what to make of uh, it, as his colleague was. Because there I was thinking, he's going to land more on me. And what did he do? He pulled me over, basically, to show me some kindness. Basically, to land some kindness on my plate and say, come on, here you go, sir. Here's a bit more. Now, what does that illustrate? It illustrates the difference between a few things. First of all, what should he have done? Justice in that situation would have been 60 quid fine. That would have been justice. Mercy was what he almost gave me, which was to let me off. Grace 
is undeserved kindness, generosity beyond what is merited. So here I am experiencing undeserved generosity. And the Bible says that is the heart of the Christian faith. God's undeserved, his lavish generosity to those who will come to him. Rejecting God as we are, and yet welcomed in through Jesus Christ, adopted into his family and given heaven. Given heaven. That is the heart of the Christian faith. God's grace. And if you've understood that, if that's what you've understood at the heart of the Christian faith and you've taken on for yourself, then you've trusted in the genuine gospel. You've trusted in the message of the God of the universe to this earth. You've trusted in that. You're a believer in God's genuine good news to this world. It's yours. It's yours. If you haven't understood that yet, if, if, if you hadn't thought that that was what God said to the world, you thought that God said, earn good boy points and I'll accept you, you haven't yet understood the heart of the Christian faith. Because the heart of the Christian faith, says Paul, do you see, is God's grace in all its truth. So what produced this change? It was the genuine gospel. It is a gospel of growth. It was, uh, the content was grace. Just finally and quickly, its messenger uh, was a faithful one. Verse 7, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. Uh, Epaphras uh, probably was the first guy to go back to Colossae with this good news of God's grace, God's rescue. Um, so Paul, we know, didn't uh, visit Colossae. He was probably preaching in Ephesus in, in the big lecture hall and maybe Epaphras was one of the guys in the back row who heard the good news and said, I've got to go back to Colossae and tell everyone this is brilliant. And so he did. And he went back and a church started. Epaphras was a faithful messenger because he told them about grace. That's what a faithful messenger says. And Paul says, he's also told us of your love in the Spirit. That's to say, he's, he's done it both ways. He's told you of grace faithfully, and he's told us what you're like faithfully. He's a faithful messenger. Those who brought the good news to us uh, bear that mark of authenticity. Here is Epaphras, a, a faithful messenger of Jesus Christ. So there's the second thing. Do you see, there's genuine change but it's been produced by the genuine gospel. I guess it would be, it'd be, it's like, um, again, did you see it this week? Uh, more lottery winners. Uh, moved to Nottingham. Everyone in Nottingham is winning the lottery at the moment. 40 million in two weeks in, in, in Nottingham. That's the place to go. Um, and I notice, again, people's, uh, people who won the, win the lottery buy things like um, washing machines and carpets. I don't understand this. Why don't they buy mansions and speedboats? That's what everyone used to do. I don't understand it. But anyway, that's what they do. And uh, the, the, the two who won this week said they had a very, very nervous night. They got the ticket. They got the ticket, but they didn't know if it was genuine, if it would be cash. They had a sleepless night holding on to the ticket. And in the morning... Uh, they were told that it was, the numbers were right, the ticket was genuine, and the money would be in their account uh, soon. And if you're trusting in the genuine gospel, God has put into your hand, by his grace, a ticket to heaven. That's what he's put into your hands. And if you're trusting in the gospel of grace, and the thing that you have in your hand is the genuine gospel of God to this world. It's God's genuine good news so as we close uh, two things what does that mean for us what does that mean for us 
Well, look, receive, receive that reassurance. That is Paul's main purpose in writing these verses to, to these Christians, to reassure them, to reassure them that they've believed in the genuine gospel. He wants to convey that to them, that God has done a work in them, that they are his. And if he was writing uh, to you, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, if he was writing to Christchurch Mayfair, people who showed in their lives faith in Jesus, love, hope in heaven, then he, God, would say to you, God would say to you, I give thanks for you. God has done a genuine work in your life. And that's an encouragement to us when things are up and down in life. Uh, Things may be hard. And so you think, well, maybe I need to go looking for something else. Maybe I need a, a new good news from God or just to add something into that. No, Paul says, no, no. You have in your hands the ticket to heaven. God has got you. You're one of his. You belong to him. Receive that reassurance. And then secondly, I I guess one of the other applications is a spin-off from that, which is follow this model in your life. Do you notice this about Paul? This 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 is what fires Paul, who's miles away in a prison, and he hears about people in a small town a long way away, and he thinks to write to them to encourage them. What does it tell you about Paul? This is the heart of what he's about. This is his lifeblood. This is what he, he's thrilled about when he hears that. So the encouragement for us is to, is to grow in this, to, to let these sorts of things shape our prayers, to let these sorts of things shape our prayers. He says, I, I, we always thank God for you. Don't suppose that that means every second of every day, but presumably he was setting some time aside each day to pray. And in his prayers, he would thank God for God's work in bringing people to trust in him. Can I ask you, has that just slipped off the, the agenda a bit for you, just thanking God for that? Had, had for me, and I, this week's been good to be reminded of this, to have this back on the agenda, to thank God for his work in people here. I mean, ask, ask around. There are people here who have recently trusted in Jesus Christ. Ask so that you can, in your own prayers, be thanking God for that. Or find out about one of our mission partners we heard last week. You know, why don't we all, in effect, adopt one that we particularly pray for? Well, why not find out about what's happening there? Has anyone become a Christian recently? Is that happening? And build that into your prayers. Let me encourage you to do that, to thank God for this, because it has a big effect. And I, you know, as I said, personally, you just slipped off, putting it back on this week, trying to do this a bit. The effect is, personally, that it just fixes your eyes on God again. I thank God. God, this is your work. I thank you for this. It focuses you on others and not yourselves. It, it, I found it, it takes me back to the basics. This is the heart of the Christian faith, people coming to trust in Jesus Christ. It takes you back to that. And it puts the other things, the worries of life, the ups and downs in perspective. So let me commend you to that. Follow this model. Spend some time doing it. I think it would help uh, each of us as we grow. So there's a start in the, the book of Colossians. We'll be coming back to it uh, in the next few weeks. It's a book that says, don't, don't go looking. Don't have to go looking. Go deeper into Jesus Christ. He's the one. He's the one. Uh, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for the work that you've done in our lives. If we're sitting uh, here and we have hope of heaven in our hearts, that is because you've done a genuine work in us by your grace, not because of anything we've done, and we thank you for that. And we know that around us there are others that you've done a genuine work in. And again, we acknowledge that that is your work, and we thank you, Father, for that. Be others of us just wondering what these um, truths are about, and we pray that you'd help us to understand your grace in all of uh, its truth. So go on uh, changing us. Uh, Go on taking us, we pray, uh, deeper into all that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask for his name's sake. Amen.